Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Stage Door Johnny, uh, or welcome to Stage Door Johnny, though I hope you've heard the first part of my chat with David Harewood and you're now listening to the second. I think it would be maybe a little strange if you just went straight in for part two. No, you know, look, listen, I'm not going to rule it out. You do you. You do you. All right, here we are, second part of my chat with David. It's great. He talks about being with the naughty boys to go watch King Lear when he was at school. He talks about this extraordinary role that Martin Luther King has had in his life. He talks about angels in his life on stage and off, he says, rustling his notes. Um, he talks about the theatrical family, how it's different from your real family. Oh, I nearly forget to give him his birthday present. He talks about his extraordinary relationship with Vanessa Redgrave when they were playing Anthony and Cleopatra, The Strange Curse of 1606. Oh, yeah. And um, what it was like to watch Olivier's performance as Othello in blackface. And finally, about David's famous body. Let's go back. Did you come from a family that went to the theatre? No, no, no. no. I mean, it was a complete surprise to my family that I was going to be an actor. Do you remember the first time you were ever in a theatre? Watching King Lear. Was it? School trip. trip. Which you write brilliantly about in the book. Can you tell me me about it? Because that seems like an extraordinary introduction. Yeah, we were studying King Lear in secondary school. No, but first of all, we were studying uh, Othello. And I remember my mate sitting next to me and he went, isn't that a great way to talk about lying to somebody? Because Iago says, I will pour this pestilence into his ear. He, he, she repeals him for it about his lust. Pour this pestilence into his ear. And we, thought, we looked at each other and went, that's fucking great. And we were like, <laughs> I suddenly saw like, this little spark of thing of, of literature just kind of awoke in me. Which really didn't get going until we went to drama, well, I went to drama school. But it was that spark of yeah. that beauty of writing. And then, there was a school trip to uh, to, to to the theatre. To where, where was it? Do you remember? Coventry Belgrade. Coventry Belgrade. Great theatre. And I don't know who played King Lear or who played Edmund, but all I remember was all the naughty kids, mainly mates, the, the five of us, all of the worst behaved kids, got our money, somehow got our money in first, early doors, <laughs> and we were going. Because you thought maybe it would be a, a laugh. chance to have a laugh. Just chance to have a laugh, have sure. a drink some cider, sure, get pissed, yeah. have a giggle. Great. A big coach trip to Coventry, so we'd sit at the back of the coach, have a laugh. 
it just we just thought it was going to be a giggle, and, and the trip there was a was a giggle. Got into the theatre, fully prepared to have a laugh. The curtain came down, and we were in. Really, absolutely hook, line, and sinker. And at the end of the play, all five of us were in tears. Really? I swear to God, when when he came on with Cordelia, she was dead. I was like, <laughs> and I looked round, and they were all like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" We were sobbing. That's extraordinary. And it was we were going, "How, how?" Yeah. And I was absolutely broken. And when the guy playing, when at the curtain call, when the guy playing Edmund came to get his curtain call, we all booed him. <laughs> but we, we were like, it, it was magical. And I, and silence on the coach on the way back. Absolute silence. We all thought it was going to be like a, a real kneeser. But we were all just like <laughs> slain by tragedy. Stunned by it. Stunned by it. That's I just extraordinary. never thought theatre could be that powerful. And that is not an easy entry-level play. Well, I, for me, what it kind of was, because okay. it's, it's such a great story. I guess, and I think it still remains one of, one of the only Shakespearean tragedies, which is just about a family and not about kings or queens or king or is princes. King, sure, but yeah. But, but it's, it, it's, a, it's a more of a, a domestic, a domestic yeah. tragedy. And that, no, it was, and it was, it's easy. It was his daughters and, you know, right. and, and, and it, it just seemed so accessible to us. Wow. And the fact that Edmund was such a bastard and Cordelia was so lovely and, and then she comes back and we all go, yeah, she's back. She's going to save the day. Yeah, and then you yeah, go, no, oh, no. go and she, go and, and he's killed her. And you just, honestly, it was, I, I wept. Oh, David, you're going to make me, you're going to make me go. <laughs> I wept. Oh, it was so extraordinary. to tell me again how old you would have been. I would have been about 13, 14. I mean, I mean listen, there is part of that play that is hard for us as human beings to look straight in the eye. Mm. So bleak is it about mm. the human experience. Mm. I mean, it is, yeah. I think of all his plays, the most remorseless yeah. and the most pitiless yeah. about that. I mean, this is why, of course, everyone tried to change the ending for 200 years. They were like, yeah, this play is great. Well, really? Nahum, famously, that. Nahum Tate rewrote it in the eight, 1800s and it was a, went gangbusters. They were like, we love this play, but we don't like the ending. Could right. we just, could, we, could Cordelia live? And right. they do go, you know, live happily ever right. after the old king. Uh, you know, people could not take right. yeah. the bleak vision yeah. of human nature and, and experience that... It presents. So I just find it extraordinary that you'd have this amazing epiphany at 13. Do you mind me asking you about when you were asked to read the bit of MLK in, in was it an assembly or a sort of school? It was a school play. It was school a school play, play okay. called Illusions. And again, that was the first time I'd ever, uh, it was probably about a, a year after that. We'd okay. been to see that play. All right. Yeah, the drama teacher said, oh, you know, would you want to be in the school play? Yeah, great. And he said, oh, we've got this little bit by uh, Martin Luther King, uh, the, a little bit of the I Have a Dream speech. He said, we'd really like you to do it. I went, yeah, sure. Did you know anything about him? I, I mean, I'd heard the speech as a kid, so I knew it was a very powerful speech. Right. And, you know, as a kid, you know, I heard it, and it, it was almost like something in my stomach. It was moving, moving me. I always remember it moving me, deeply moved me. Not, not that I understood all of it, but it really deeply moved me. And so I get up in this school play, first night, and there's some black parents in the audience. And as soon as I start saying, one day, all oh, little black boys. And, black boys. and the parents are going, yes, sir. Yes. Sir. And it was like, I, know it was like, I was getting this response. It was absolutely <laughs> surreal. And at the end of it, I walked off and my knees were shaking. Oh. And I thought that was powerful. Because they were really, the black parents were going, yeah, yeah. 
they responded to it, responded to my oratory. Because you went for it, right? I did, you, yeah. you went, I went for, for it, the sort accents, of channeling I accents. King. I went for the accents, and I, and I did the whole little black boys and little black girls will one day join hands with little white girls and little white boys and sisters and brothers. I have a dream today, and you know, and they were like, yeah, yeah, and clapping and clapping, and it was it was really emotional and very very powerful, and uh, I got kind of swept up in it as well. Funny enough, the next night I did it with no black parents in it. It fucking died a death. It absolutely died a death. And I walked off thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> the perils of a second night. Exactly. And I'll never forget it. I thought, so now we always go, second nights are always worse. But yeah, yeah it was, it was, it was That's funny. That's extraordinary. Do you mind telling me about the next two times Martin Luther King came back into your life? Yes. Well, listen, the next time he came into my life, which is probably the most extraordinary time, which is when I was in the midst of my psychotic breakdown. One of the, uh, two of the, of, of the uh, attributes of psychosis are illusions, hallucinations. Um, you, you, you hallucinate and you hear things, you see things, you believe things that aren't real. You think you can control the weather and they are unbelievably real to you. Unbelievably real to you. And, and, and I, I want to do some more research on it because it's extraordinary, the effect it has on, on, on a person. So I'm sort of lying in bed one night. And this is like after about, this is after weeks of some very strange behavior. And uh, I knew I wasn't well, but I had so much energy. I mean, I would literally go to bed. I remember going to bed some nights and then I'd wake up and I'd be walking around Oxford Circus. And I'd think, how the hell did I get here? I better go home. And then I'd start walking home. And then I'd wake up and it'd be two o'clock in the afternoon and I'd be in Camden. And I would have no idea how, how I got there or what happened in between. I was in and out of reality, in and out of consciousness. And my mates knew something was, wasn't right. And a lot of them came to start literally live with me because they, they were very worried about me and trying to persuade me to go to doctors. And I was refused because I was, A, I'm scared. B, I was, it's a really bizarre energy. Yeah. I felt, if I can control this, this is going to be great. You described it as a very creative It was, time. it was, it was very creative. And I can believe and, that. And, um, listen, one night I was, in, when I was actually sectioned, and I was in a mental institution, one night I got woken up at three o'clock in the morning, somebody was being dragged in, and I lift, I went, hang on, I recognise that. It was fucking Shakespeare. They was belting out Shakespeare at the top of their voice. I woke up and I was really drugged, and I went, that's Shakespeare. And it made me feel great. So I thought, I'm not alone here. There's another creative over there. There's another, probably another actor. I thought, there's, a, there's somebody else who's creative over there. I think that, that makes, made me feel better. So it is a highly creative sort of energy. But, but, it's, but it's also extremely scary. And I remember one night I was lying in bed and uh, I just heard this, wake up, like really loud in my head. And I sat bolt upright in bed. And his voice was like, you have to do something tonight. Whispering voice, you have to do something tonight. I'm looking around the room thinking, where on earth is this voice coming from? And it spoke to me for over about 20 minutes. Told me to get ready, get dressed. I've got something to, for you to do. And I did absolutely everything this voice told me to do, Johnny. Everything. Which is what's scary as well. Because if it had told me to jump off Westminster Bridge, I'd have done it. I would have done. No doubt about it. Told me to get ready, get dressed, and... Get ready to walk to Camden, this voice said. 
because you're going to walk into this shop in Camden that sell, and I knew where the shop was, because uh, I remember it always sold these really nice jackets and suits and stuff. He said, you're going to walk in. He said, don't be surprised. It's three o'clock in the morning. Don't be surprised. It's going to be open. He said, but whatever you do, you cannot turn around. Just walk into the shop, walk to the back of the shop, go to the very last store on your right, walk in, there's going to be a suit hanging up. When you turn around, when you put the suit on, when you turn around, it's going to be three o'clock in the afternoon and you will have changed the fabric of time. And he says, I'm now going to tell you who I am. So I haven't told you who I am yet because it's going to scare you. He says, I am Martin Luther King. Speaking to you from beyond the grave. So when I was shot in 1968, so when I was shot, he said, I'm now speaking to you from as an angel. And he said, you know, he said, I'm speaking to a few people around the world, and there's a, I can see that there's a psychic gap between good and evil, and I'm choosing several people around the world to help me close that gap tonight. You're all going to be angels. You're probably never going to be the same again. He says, but you have to walk to this place in Camden, put these suits on, and you are then going to be an angel. And I'm in my room weeping, Johnny, weeping, hearing this voice inside my head yeah. telling me this. It was the voice of Martin. He said, I'm Martin Luther King. And I'm sobbing in my bedroom. And he says, look, don't worry. I'm going to look after you. I'll, I'll tell your parents that, you know, you're never going to, you know, you're not coming back. And it was huge. It was a massive thing that was going to happen. Of course, I walked <laughs> to Camden and I fucking shop's closed. <laughs> Martin, Martin, Dr. and that's exactly. I went, Doctor King, come on. Yeah, it's England. Nothing's he, open he beyond four thirty. He said, oh, "Don't worry, I'll send you. A, I'll send you a car." And this cab pulled up. I must have been flagging it down because it, it stopped. I saw the red orange light, and I went, oh, and it stopped. And I got in, and then I must have been because I, I knew I had no money. I could see the driver looking at me in the mirror like this, and the next thing I know, the car stopped. Next thing, I was sitting on the pavement, and I saw flashing blue lights. And I was arrested and taken to a police holding cell. I was um, kept overnight in a holding cell. And the very next day I had, I was sectioned. The very next day. Because I was in this cell. My mates, uh, that was the one night my mates couldn't be with me. And they'd been looking for me all night. And when I got out of the, I got out of the holding cell, went to court in the morning. Couldn't remember my name to the juice listener. Juice listener, what, who, no, what's your name? I have no idea. Everything was quiet in my head. Everything, everything, all the voices had gone. I couldn't remember my name. I didn't know who I was. It was really worrying, really scary. I was like, this, I don't feel right. And did the uh, case in the morning, spoke to the judge. And I remember everyone looking at me like I was weird. I must have been babbling or something. Walked out of the court. And this lady, yeah. talking about angels, this lady walked up to me. She said, well, are you all right, son? I went, I don't think so. I, think, I don't think I'm very well. And she said, where do you live? I said, I can't remember. And she says, where's your nearest tube station? And I said, hi, in Islington. And she flagged the cab down and she went, she gave the cab driver a tenner. She went, take him to Hybe Islington tube station. Oh, fuck. And I know, I know, complete stranger just gave, you know, did, did that for me. And got out of Hybe Islington station. My mates were just panicking because they'd, they'd been looking for me all night. And I just apparently started freaking out and I couldn't breathe. And, and then that, that was, they took me to the hospital and that was it. I was, I was sectioned. So cut to 2009. I think it was 2009. Yeah. You get a call mm. to say, do you want to play Martin Luther King? Yeah. When you'd had this, your first experience of standing up in front of people, I think, mm. was, was doing the mountaintop speech. Well, again, it's that, that's the echo you talk about. Yeah. And it, here it was again. And I was thinking, yeah. And the funny thing was, 
I remember because I was doing an episode of Doctor Who at the time, David Tennant's last episode of Doctor Who. And I was, my agent phoned me up when I was, I think it was Paddington Station. And she said, oh, someone's just sent you a play, asking to play Martin Luther King. Immediately, bing! And she said, but I don't know who it is. And the playwright, no one's ever heard of her. You know, do you want to read it? I went, yeah, I'll read it. And I read it on my phone from start to finish on my phone. It was brilliant mm. and very, very funny. In the play, it's his last night on earth, and he meets, if you know, he chats up this maid who he thinks is a maid, and he was a flirt, uh, Martin. Sure. Was a womanizer. Yeah. Famous womanizer. So he, he, this maid comes in, and he's trying to get hold of her, and she turns out to be an angel. And she's saying, This is your last night on earth. You've just made them out of top speech. You're not going to make it. Uh, I'm just here to tell you you're going to die. But it's, it's, it's extreme. So there's that sort of magical quality to it anyway. And I'm like completely, that echoed my own of course, sort yeah. of experience. And be, again, because of that, I thought, I've got to do this. It's, it's brilliant. And was it easy? Yeah. Because of your life experience of it, of him, of having that, this extraordinary echo going back to your childhood and through your breakdown. Was it easy or was, was, it, was that It makes it special. It makes it special. I mean, there's sometimes when I think, oh, am I getting too close here? Or am I going to tip over into something here? Or, am I going to, is it going to trigger something? There are, there are some times when I think that, you know, is this going to trigger something? You know, recently I went to um, Atlanta for a BBC documentary I'm doing and I was at his gravesite and the Ebenezer Baptist Church where he preached. Right. And I walked past it and, and it is very moving, not only because of who he was, but my own particular connection to him. Yeah. It's quite special. So, so it, it does get emotional for me sometimes, but it's, uh, it's just a very special connection because yeah. of that, that other dimension that I've had in my life of hallucinating that he was talking to me. It's, it makes it very, very special. Amazing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Listen, I've got to be conscious of time because if you're, you're little, we've got, we've got 15 minutes before you're going to start leafing through your Stanislavski... <laughs> Circles of concentration. An active affair. Starting making a cat cow in the, probably on this desk. Anyway, listen. So you went, I've got so much more I need to talk to you about. Oh, I'm going to I'm rambled do it again. On. If you um, want to come back, if you're here, don't worry. National Youth Theatre. Yeah. It was just, we, we, we're definitely going to get to you when you've grown up. We've already touched a bit on the uh, Mountaintop by Katori Hall, that amazing play, which won the Tony, didn't it? It won the Olivier as well. Won the Olivier. That's yeah. right. Won yeah. everything. Extraordinary. 
So National Youth Theatre, we were. In, I remember seeing you as Charles the Wrestler. Yes. In Regent's Park. Yes. Because I think I was in the Youth Theatre roughly the same time. And I remember coming to see that show. I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, who's that bloke? <laughs> really? He looks amazing. <laughs> it's like they've got an actual wrestler. He's, he's incredible. Um, but you wrote something brilliant in your book, but quite glancingly. But, but you wrote something about... It was the first experience of the sort of theatrical family. Yeah, but you found my tribe. And yeah, and how and how glorious that mm. is when we feel that. You feel like, oh, here we are. Yeah. That wonderful sense of exhaling, right? Yeah. We, we're with people that we get us on a sort of weird molecular yeah. level. Yeah. And I was just I was just struck by that. And I was struck by how is the how is the incredibly accelerated intimacy of these theatrical families. And then, as you describe in the book, the breaking up and the moving on and the saying goodbye and probably not seeing again. Mm. Look at us. We haven't seen each other in all all these decades. But at the same time, we can also years, like decades, pick up just Call it back, mate. And I love that. I love love that too. And I I also think that the gems that you're you're meant to meet again, you meet, you'll meet again. I mean, sometimes you think, Oh, you know, I'm so close to this person. I'm gonna, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll never drift apart. And you do. Uh, and there's people at drama school I went to drama school with that I thought I'd never fall out with. But you know, yeah. I just don't speak to anymore uh, for, for various reasons. But then, then there's other people who I can pick the phone up and call tomorrow. You know, it's a wonderful business like that. And I love, as you said, that family, that yeah. sense of of that they get me and yeah. we get each other. And actually, we talk. I probably talk more. Here than I do at home, you know. You know, my wife's not an actress, and actually, sometimes there's a great benefit to that. Sure. And, and other times, I think, God, God, I wish she was an actress because, you know, she just doesn't take any of my shit. <laughs> she doesn't take any of my shit at all, and doesn't get, doesn't really get it. You know, there's times when that's great, yeah, and and sort of um, a bit of a wake up call, and there's times when you think. Like we're doing, you know, we can sit and we can we we, we could crack open a bottle of whiskey and we could sit talking till four in the morning. I can't believe I buried the lead here. I've got a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> oh, I've got a Japanese single malt oh, for you, fantastic. mate. It's a happy birthday. Oh, thank thank you. God you mentioned whiskey. <laughs> I sort of walked you, out with that. You nearly escaped with that. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. fantastic. You could gargle so with that. Gargle with that for your vocal warm up. Oh, God, that's going to be risky. Yeah. I just remembered. It hasn't been thirty years. I saw you. To Anthony, in Anthony Cleopatra, oh my God. with the great Vanessa Redgrave. Redgrave, and I want to say it was in Newcastle. Wow! Can that be yes, true? Yes, absolutely. What did, did we see each other? We saw each other. I came backstage. I said hello to you. Uh, 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 we may even have. I don't think we had a drink, but I think uh, I was filming something. I think in Northumberland at that time, and and you were doing that, and I remember that performance wow. and that production so mm. indelibly though obviously I'd forgotten it when I said we haven't seen each other in 30 <laughs> years no tell me about that well everybody was like you and her get on like a house on fire and I didn't realize I didn't I, I mean we were like we were really close I mean like really really close and I didn't really get it until I, I know my, my agent said don't do it my agent said because I originally played Ina Barbas yeah and, and loved it. And then and, yeah, Anthony dropped out. Anthony dropped out and yeah. she bang, rang me up and said, do you want yeah. to play Anthony? I mean, you can't, you don't, you don't say no to that. Right. And I sort of wanted the experience of working with her because she's fucking great. She's a legend. And ended up having this 
amazing relationship with her, and like amazing relationship with her, where I, I basically lived, I lived with her for like yeah. six months, which was extraordinary. And what did you what did you learn from her? Was there anything that she gave you theatrically that you felt like? Oh, just so she was just really brave, right? No, there were no rules to what she did. I mean, I always remember that last night. She was ephemeral. Everybody was like looking in the wings like that because the last night when she played Cleopatra, our last ever performance we were going to do together, she was extraordinary. And I'm, like, I'm on stage dead as happy, one eye open, having a little look because <laughs> she sounded like she was from another planet. It was extraordinary to witness. She directed that production. She did, yeah. As well as playing Cleopatra. Yeah. yeah. And I had this extraordinary experience. I remember watching it of seeing her be sort of out of body brilliant. I mean, she and Mark Rylance, I think, have a very similar thing mm. where you have no idea how they're doing it. Yeah. You, you just, it's, 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 it's vibrating at a frequency mm. that you can't really Comprehend, understand, yeah. but you absolutely get it when you see it. But at the same time, I feel like I was, I was watching her moving people around the stage. Oh, yeah. As the director, she did that. Yeah, did that she was, do that to you? Yeah, she did, and I, it was it was it was a bit naughty. <laughs> it was a little bit. She literally took my arm and was moving me, and I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. But if there's one character in Shakespeare, maybe in all literature, who could do that? It's Cleopatra, it's Cleopatra Queen of the Nile. Excuse me, love. Just move down here a little bit, if you don't mind. This is my light. Get out of my light, pretty boy. You were you were. 30 years, I want to say. 30 years junior. Younger, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I played Anthony at the RSC in the public with uh, Cleopatra, who was 20 years my junior. Oh, wow. So I did it sort of in reverse. But it's ostensibly... It's a, a hard play, part, Anthony. Unbelievably hard play, don't you think? Yeah, it is. And I was going to say to you, famously an unhappy one. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, really? Yeah, I think, I think it is. And no one could quite... It, it, you will very rarely hear a cast of Anthony Cleopatra say they had a good time. It's very odd. It's a, yeah, it's a strange play. It's a strange play, yeah. Strange it's sort of slippery and they betray each other. Yeah. It's written in 1606, supposedly. Scottish play, King Lear, Anthony Cleopatra. Whatever's going on with him that year, mm. his, his feelings about women are complicated. Wow, yeah. At, to say the least. To say the least. And I feel like some of that filters down. Cleopatra, of course, is the most extraordinary creation. Maybe the greatest female party ever. Maybe. Mm. There's lots to choose from. But mm. the sense of distrust, I don't know, there's something strangely cursed about it mm. as a production. Was, that, was, your, was yours happy? But, but, uh, no. The, the New York one was really unhappy. Huh. Really, really. We did it in the public because yeah. it, was, it, was, it was a disaster. It really was a disaster. Uh, we'd fallen out. Me and me and Vanessa had fallen out, and sh- uh, it was it was uh, it was very very messy. Wow, very very messy. She'd cancelled the show at the five, you know, packed house. She'd cancelled the show at the five. Wow, it was messy. Yeah, gosh, it's so interesting how we how we how we manage when it's successful. You're sitting here with these five star reviews plastered all over the front of the theatre. And how we manage when it's hard. Mm. And we've still got to go through the same 
process every night. You're still going to start to come alive yeah. at 6.30 every night, yeah. even though you're going to go on and do something which is so difficult. It's very wordy, this play as well. Very, very wordy, as you'll yeah. see. And it's verbatim. Yeah. A lot of the, 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 the debates are verbatim. And unlike, uh, as you say, like a Shakespeare, there's no emotional line. So midline, you'll go, I have no idea what's next. Right. Because you're, particularly if you're on a, a real fiery one, you are on, on the limit with, the, with, with what you're saying, thinking about what you're going to be saying next. The, the, I'm, I'm never dried as much as I have with, in this play. Because there are moments when you just think, I don't know what I just said. And the, because you're thinking about what you just said, you miss what you're going to say. It's, uh, it's a very difficult oh, look out for that tonight. Yeah. It's a very difficult um, All right. So I'm going to – a couple more and then I'm going to get out of your sure, head sure, sure. Get let you flick that switch. You're the first black actor to play Othello at the National Theatre. Mm. I mean – and that was in – 1997. 1997. Which in itself is a sort of mind-boggling – not since 19... No one's blacked up in America since 1935. That's how behind. Still, I did just um, interview Felicia Richard. Do you know Felicia Richard? Yes. The first black woman to win the Tony for Best Actress, and that wasn't until 2004. Yeah. I mean, listen... We are still only just breaking ground. Extraordinary. What do you remember about that production, which I also saw? How can I have not seen you then? That's, that's odd. Did you see that? I did see that. Or did you say in the door? Did you say in the which was that wasn't the Dorfman then? It was the uh, uh, what was it called? Cottesloe. Cottesloe. It was yeah. the Cottesloe. Yeah, yeah, it was great in the Cottesloe. I think I did see it there. Did you do it in America? Yeah. So we did it in Bam, and then we did we went, it was a world tour. Yeah. And then we came back and we went into the Littleton. I think I saw it at Bam, but I would have seen you. But I, but also, John, I think. I think I've changed it, and I think maybe I might have gone, oh, yeah, and not really engaged. Mm. And now I think I'm much more honest. Mm. And it's lovely to see. It's genuinely lovely to see you. And, and lovely to sort of be back in touch with you. And I hope we don't leave it as long, you know, no. because, you know, we should, we're all mates, and I think you should value that. I mean, oh, you really absolutely. think we should value it. Absolutely. Was it hard? Was that a hard play to do? I felt Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I, um, Sam was fantastic. Yeah. Adrian was going to play it initially. Yes, that's right. And he stepped out. And so Sam uh, was, had a production of Othello with Noah Othello and flew out to New York to see me in New York playing oh, yeah. uh, Anthony. Oh, yeah. So that came out of it. And uh, he, 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 then he said, look, do you want to do, do Othello? And I thought, absolutely. And because my relationship with Vanessa just sort of ended so badly, I was sort of in the right frame of mind for sort of loss and and the idea of killing what, your ha- wife. what happens to yeah, what happens to sort of going what happens to your head when all that happens yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it it was good fun although I you know my ideas of the play have changed in recent in recent years huh. uh, well I did a documentary on blackface yes which is really really interesting and you know Shakespeare wrote it for a, a white actor in blackface. Yeah. And actually, I think the level of commitment for a genuinely black person to get to get to that level. Yeah. Because you see, cause, ooh, all this sort of wide-eyed, mad black person rolling around having a fit. Yeah. It's quite extreme. And for a, for a genuine black person to get there, the level of commitment it takes is extraordinary. Yeah. It really takes a lot of work. It's easy to sort of go, ooh, and do the roll the eyes. And now I watch Olivier's performance, and I think it's technically brilliant, 
but ridiculous. Right. Uh, and, and and even though people will say on the stage he was incredible. Good evening, members of the company. The stage is available for warm-ups. There you go. She'll tell us. She'll tell us. She'll tell us that it's time. time. Yeah. All right, last thing. Last, 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 I promise. I wanted to ask you about your body. God. (laughs) There's a a statement. As somebody once said, my mate said, he's never met a shirt who could stay on David Harris. (laughs) (laughs) Some some might say the same about me. (laughs) No, mate. Really? Interestingly, that's kind of what I was thinking about you. I was just thinking, what, when we did our play together, I mean, you've always been in the most extraordinary shape, the most extraordinarily beautiful physical specimen. And I was just thinking about my own life on stage and in this business and physicality. And do you ever wish that you made your body into more of a neutral space over these years? Interesting. Good question. Uh... Uh, you know, I, I remember seeing Brushnikov in when I was in New York, and just how he moved as a dancer's body, and thinking about the difference between going to the gym and giving it all that, and training your body to open and stretch, and uh, just one second to open and stretch and be something else. I, I kind of wished I'd have done something a little bit more artistic with it. I think. And and actually now you know I I I did my Achilles in last year. Did you? It's that's an old man's injury, you know. So as they say, well, footballers get it. It's a theatre injury. Really? Did you do it on stage? No, no. Oh, very play, famously, rake stages will kill you. But anyway, I uh, so my body's sort of it started to let me down a little bit. To be honest with you, I had pulled my hamstring when I was playing football. So the emphasis, you know, even now, just going for a jog or get, trying to get to the gym. Whereas before, I'd have been caning it in the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not quite the same anymore. So uh, my relationship with my body, yes, is changing. I'm beginning to acknowledge that it's, I'm getting, I'm 57 today. I'm, I'm 60s just around the corner, which is, sounds insane to me. Insane. But uh, I hope that, I, you know, in the next couple of years, I can do more to open and stretch where it's supposed to, you know, bulk and go to the gym and... Yeah. Just got to keep myself fit. This is the journey we're on, right? Yeah. The journey you're particularly on. This extraordinary sense of opening up everything, yeah. everything. Yeah. I'm so proud of you, mate. Oh. I really, really am. The your, the honesty you've shown in everything you've done in this book and in your public work, it's just gone way beyond acting, as you must know. Mm. And what an extraordinary legacy that is. It really is a glorious thing to it, watch. It, uh, Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of that. And, and, you know, I see these young actors now doing really, really well. In, in winning Oscars, yeah. doing movies, yeah. you, know, you know, being flown to LA to star in, you know. And none of that was accessible or even possible when I was young. And yet, when, they, when I go to these events and there was one of these young, really doing really well, young black actor. I, I was at a party the other week and uh, I, I walked and I saw him and I thought, oh, yeah, you know who I am. You know? And he saw me and he went, and he came over and he shook my hand and he went, man, he said, you laid the path for us, man. Thank you so much. And it sort of made me sort of emo- a little bit emotional because I thought, yeah. uh, they, they, they understand that. They understand yeah. that we put a path down. And I stood on the shoulders of the generation before. They're standing on the gen- our generation's shoulders. So it's a legacy. We're all it's part amazing, of the amazing path. And it isn't over yet, mate. No way. Best 57, years ahead. you look about 23. Best years ahead. David, thank you so much. Thanks for the chat. Happy birthday. Thank you. 
David. Thank you so much for giving me that time so close to your play, your brilliant play, Best of Enemies, at the Noel Coward Theatre. God, I enjoyed seeing that so much. If you can see it, really try to. It's, it's, it's a terrific night at the theatre. And how wonderful to rediscover an old friend. It felt like a real gift so close to Christmas. Stage Door Johnny is an off-script production. Thank you to Louise Berry, my executive producer. Thank you to my producer, producer Ben Backhouse, who produces. Thank you to the musicians who also produce. Iggy Cake for writing, playing the theme tune, Phoebe Cake for singing it. Thank you to Julianne Nicholson for the dulcet tones of the stage manager. And thank you to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for... Thank you for spending time with Stage Door Johnny as it just starts out. I'm going to take a little winter hiatus, but I'll be back early in the new year with cracking guests. I just haven't decided which ones yet. I have many in the Stage Door Johnny vaults, but I haven't chosen which ones to unleash. Oh, yeah. It could be, um, I don't know, I'm going to go off the top of my head. It could be Alessandra Navola and Emily Mortimer. It could be Sir Simon Russell Beale. It could be William H. Macy and Felicity Huffman. It could be Zachary Quinto. It could be Jess Butterworth. To name but a few. But I haven't quite decided yet. You'll just have to wait and find out. Wherever you are, I hope you have a wonderful holiday. And I wonder if you might see a play, or you might see a nativity play, or you might listen to someone do a festive reading, or you might pass people in the street acting out a scene while you're on your way to do your shopping. Wherever you are and whatever you see, it's all theatre. It's all the greatest analogue way in a digital world that we have to tell stories. Bodies in space acting in front of us. It's ancient, it's great, and it's special. I hope you agree. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. Not a line rhymes with Johnny. But here it is, stage door Johnny. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. He sits Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.